And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Folks, welcome into Ant Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at the Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Going to talk some Cubs, and I think maybe I referenced this in the pod at the beginning of the week. But so the Cubs lost the series to the Cardinals, which sucks, and we'll get into that. But if you're going to lose a series like that, and then there's going to be an off day afterwards, you better lose the first two and win the last one, because I'm telling you. The difference in feeling, even though the outcome would be exactly the same if they'd won the first game and lost the second two, my day has been uh, glowingly better because they won last night instead of the reverse. Uh, so that is to say, I feel I feel a little vibish for this uh, conversation today. I feel, feel a lot better than I, than I thought I would after two more. So let me recap here and I'll throw it to you guys, but so they had the loss against the Marlins to end the weekend, which was that marathon game where five innings, I believe they had the winning run, the walk-off winning run in scoring position, and they did not win. Uh, and then they lost on Monday to the Cardinals in Wilson Contreras's return. He featured heavily in the Cardinals scoring Cubs bats uh, did very little uh, despite an overall good another good pitching performance and then Tuesday the loss was the one where they went down a little early came back and uh, Javier Assad was uh, you know pitched really nice five innings gave up a couple runs in the ninth and the Cubs lost but that was the one where the Cubs had had just an extraordinary volume of opportunities that they didn't convert offensively and I think we'll probably talk about that a bit so it it wasn't just like three losses coming into yesterday. It was three ones that just, they were structured perfectly to piss you off. And uh, that coming on the heels of, of course, two and a half weeks where the Cubs have lost a whole lot more than they've won. So anyway, that my positivity to kick things off is I felt good watching last night. I'm glad it happened last night and not earlier in the series. And maybe today's off day will give a little reset and... Uh, now that Jan Gomes is back, the offense is clicking. Yeah, you know, uh, Brett, here's a l- another little bit of good news, I think, for that Cubs fans can take away from this. You you were concerned about this, and frankly, I, I felt the same way because I always think the Cardinals are dangerous and frisky and can uh, turn it on at any point and go on a run. That pitching staff stinks. That is a bad pitching staff, and the Cubs let them off the hook. They should have swept them. That team, unless, uh, you know, someone like Matt Libatori or however his name is pronounced and there's others coming up, 
they're not going to compete. They're just not good enough. It's not a good enough pitching staff. Jack Flaherty is fighting with reporters after wins uh, because he he claims that 86 miles per hour is an intentional fastball, even though his own manager is asking him what's up with your velocity. Uh, they don't have enough pitching. They just don't. They Steven Matz isn't good. Miles Michaelis, the magic is worn off because he was all smoke and mirrors last year. Uh, it's it's just not a good enough pitching staff. You can't win when you have starting pitching like that. Uh, the Cubs should have swept that series because they left. I mean, how many walks did they issue? Like eighteen over the course of that series. Like just just it's just not good enough. Like so, I I mean, the offense could turn on and maybe they get close to being a five hundred team. That's not a scary team when you have pitching like that. It's it's just not. Uh, we can, well, obviously, this is a Cubs podcast, and we'll get more into them. But I, I just, I came away from that series saying, yeah, that's not a good team. That's not a good Cardinals team. I'm not. Con- they can change. Things can shift over the course of a season. But watching those three games, nothing. I came away from that saying, uh, Wilson Contreras hits the ball really hard whenever he makes contact. Uh, about outside of that, uh, not much impresses me about that Cardinals team. Yeah, and Goldschmidt. I mean, yes, he's still great. There's something up with Arenado, and I'm sure that'll change. And next time the Cubs play him, he'll be on fire. But uh, you know that 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 just that team just did, did not impress me. And I'm it's one of the few times that I've come. Don't with, impress me. Much. It's one of the few times Sorry. I can say that over my <laughs> life of watching the Cardinals, where I come away from a series like, "What is up with St. Louis?" Oh, you got me there, Brett. That was that was uh, a good one. Uh, yeah, if the Cardinals were like wearing Rockies uniforms, we'd all just be totally writing them off. But they're not. And side of I'm sure you feel the same way. Like I've been burned by enough uh, getaway days in St. Louis where you feel like your story's written, and then there's some of that Cardinals voodoo magic or whatever they call it on twitter so uh but the larger point as sahad uh you know eloquently wrote uh or laid out very well on the athletic this morning of just like you know are the cubs gonna be looking back in september being like oh man like we really should have cleaned up uh in late april early may like maybe things would be a lot different if we had and oh that's not exactly how the season works like baseball rewards you know teams that show up every day and kind of avoid you know the the huge losing streaks and can stay consistent i think the cubs have a lot of those elements in place but yeah i mean this is like a perfect storm of bad for the cardinals no one believes the pirates are going to win 90 plus games the reds are perpetually rebuilding so it's like this could have been a really nice time for the Cubs to separate themselves, and they didn't. And I think that's this kind of segment of the schedule has been that pivot point where, like, yeah, you're looking up in late April, and it's like, if you're the Cubs, you're like, yeah, we we would have taken that in spring training. We had a lot of new players, a lot of new personnel, you know, trying to figure things out here at the start of the season. But, you know, this window here of, I think it was like, three three-game losing streaks in, like, 12 days. Like, that is uh, not good and something that I think we will be looking back on uh, at some point 
uh, as either the Cubs being like, told you so, all of our underlying numbers were, were right all along, we, we never wavered, or, you know, it could come down to those final days of September when you're looking back at, you know, losing three of four to like, you know, a hundred lost Nationals team. What's interesting is, um, you know, when we were talking about the schedule earlier this year and even recently, to your point, you know, we, it kind of felt like this was a bit of a soft stretch. The Cubs were maybe leaving some wins on the table and then looking ahead. There was a brutal May and into early June. And I wouldn't say that that isn't still true, but it's always interesting how fluid things are early in a baseball season because, you know, the when we were looking ahead, the series against the Cardinals was sort of kicking off this tough stretch. And and by the time the series arrived, it was, oh, actually, the Cardinals are maybe not very good. And looking ahead, it's like they, they play the Twins, who are actually kind of really scuffling. Uh, but at the time, we thought, and, and the Astros are kind of disappointing. The Mets are very disappointing and very banged up right now. Uh, I mean, so it's I do wonder if to your point and to their point that if, you know, they stay the course and I'll throw it back to you in a moment, Mooney, because I want to um, mention the, some of the things that Dansby Swanson was saying in a, in a piece that you wrote, but that it, it it's like, I, I almost want to tee this up because if they do end up having a good stretch from here, I think it, it'll be worth pointing out that maybe the schedule was inverted a bit from what we thought. And it isn't just that like, um, they've finally flipped a switch. It could be just that they were always going to be competitive for this stretch at some level, and now they're getting more bounces, and they're just they're sticking to, you know, staying within themselves, and and all of that sort of um, that stuff that you hear. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see if, like we are today, when we look back four weeks from now, if it's like, oh, actually that stretch wasn't too bad either and the Cubs actually won more games in that stretch than they did against the part that we thought was easy and um you know that that baseball does funky things like that so uh yeah but anyway I, I'd be curious Mooney toss out maybe some of what Swanson was discussing in terms of this idea that the players at least they you know they don't react like the fans do when the hits aren't falling and sort of the underlying numbers look better and all of that he had a, he just had a great way of talking about it i thought yeah but sometimes they do though you know what i mean like sometimes they do overreact or they let it get clearly we saw that last year and the year prior of how uh, certain pressures got to the cubs you can even go back to what was it? The big losing streak at the end of the Joe Madden era. Like things caved in on them big time. That was the end of the season. Uh, last season, it was the beginning uh, of the season where everything, just the bottom fell out. And so Swanson had a big game the other night. Here, reporters, uh, you know, came around his locker and he just, you know, has this way of, you know, s- you know standing there with his arms folded, you know, I can't remember if he still had, like, the headband thing on, but, you know, just, like, you know, the man uh, in the clubhouse at his locker. And, you know, he he kind of gave some cliches, and then I just kind of said, you know, you're not getting blown out, you're not playing sloppy, but, like, is there anything concerning uh, here when you look at you know, this stretch? And uh, I thought he gave a really good answer, and, you know, he, he definitely recognizes, like, his role – as kind of a spokesperson and a leader in the clubhouse. And like uh, he said, you know, if we had a couple 
little things go our way here and there. We're not even having this conversation. And he says, he's like, I don't want to say overreact, which of course became part of the headline. But, you know, I know everyone wants to say what's wrong, what's wrong. But, you know, all the good teams I've been on, including that Braves team that was maybe just under or just over 500 when they traded for Jock Peterson, that, you know, you stick to your process, you keep showing up same day, uh, the same way every day that you'll be uh, rewarded in the end. And that, you know, the kind of the worst thing you can do is overreact and that he kind of closed with this idea that, you know, the beautiful thing about baseball, you know, about our team is that we have another game tomorrow and that uh, just kind of showing up and hanging around in a 162-game schedule uh, is extremely valuable just by giving yourselves a chance. I mean, you certainly can jump, Sahadev. We, we There are some other things from the Cardinal series that I think bear some discussion. Um, I thought the Wilson Contreras stuff, I think, played out exactly like we thought it would, where it was, you know... <laughs> you know split fan reaction and then Contreras for his part soon as he got a hit he gets to first base and he is into the crowd arms up saying bring it on bring on the booze and like I don't know I I, it's impossible for me not to appreciate that as a baseball fan who likes when guys sort of get into uh get into a rivalry and, and sort of embrace the the villain role in situations like that I'm reminded of Joey Votto had a stretch where he was just killing it at Wrigley Field I mean he always was for his career but there was it was maybe two or three years ago he was in an obscene hot streak and he was getting mercilessly booed and he just looked like a wrestling villain he'd turn around he's doing thumbs pointing to the (laughs) jersey on his back so good and I was just like this is so much fun now, is it as much fun when it's Wilson Contreras and that's it's sort of suffused with memories and things like that? Maybe not, but, um, you know, I, I appreciated his willingness to, to get into it. Yeah, I mean, I remember talking about this in the offseason uh, with you guys about Cubs fans love Wilson Contreras. They, you know, they just love to support him. They love everything he does on the field, the passion he plays with. Just wait until he's on another team because you're going to hate him. Like, that's just the reality. So many, he he annoyed so many opposing fan bases and teams. Like, he loves that. He knows what he's doing. He's not, like, he's not naive here. He's not thinking, like, why do people dislike me? What, what's going on? I don't understand. <laughs> we straight up asked him if he likes being the villain, and he was like, yeah. He's like, I know what I'm doing. I know, you know, what this is. And it. he's like, that's part of what we all do. It, it's, he, he enjoys that. If you're booing him, if he's on the road and you're booing him, he's doing his job well. Like, he's not a – there are certain reasons – guys get booed right the the home crowd will boo a guy sometimes on their own team when he's struggling they boo the steroid users they boo just really great players right and the guy that's killing you is gonna get booed and Wilson is a former cub and killed the, the cubs this week I mean he was their best player this the uh over the course of those three games he he looked good he you know he put a lot of balls in play hit the ball hard drove in runs uh, 
Yeah, well, listen, all that stuff is is real, and and it's stuff that the Cardinals will have to deal with, and that was kind of a circus, and it was very interesting to listen to some of the reporters and listen to some of the people in St. Louis. Uh, I, you know, that's all. We've gone over that a lot. We we know what what that situation is. The Cubs dealt with it. Uh, Wilson Contreras can hit. If you want to pay for offense, you got a guy that's going to deliver. Uh, he can catch it, it to a certain degree, depending on what your expectations are from that position. You need to go into this situation with eyes wide open, well aware of what you're getting. Uh, they, I, I think, you know, we can talk about whether the we, we already discussed how the Cardinals handle this situation uh, outside of bringing that publicly out there to try and motivate Wilson, which I, you know, maybe that's a, that's a tactic that they're using. Other than that, I, I don't think any of this is, uh, I, I don't think it makes any sense of, of the way they, they handle it, but you know, they've got a lot of, a lot of things going on in St. Louis. I think their issues go deeper than Wilson Contreras is catching. Like we said, Jack Flaherty's was once looked at like a future like ace and and is just barely hanging on right now. So there, there's plenty uh, wrong there. Uh, I, I'll say this. Wilson looked good when there were men on base, right? And that's the big thing right now with the Cubs. Uh, I want to say Wilson's first at bat, he came up with a man on base. Oh, no, no, no. Maybe. No, it was a, it was the series before against the Tigers. I remember <laughs> he came up to bat with a, with men on base and, and it was Wilson can get a little antsy in those situations and, and, and try and do damage with one swing of the bat. He, he wasn't like that against the Cubs at all. Um, so, you know, I think the Cubs, the, the Cubs could certainly use that. I, I just want to, I, I have to bring this up because it's so interesting to me the the tweets we get the comments we get about who's not doing their job who should be in the lineup who's not delivering in big situations uh who who do you think have the two were 10 at least 10 plate appearances since that 13 nothing blowout against the Dodgers now this includes yesterday's game so things can get skewed right but two worst batting averages at least 10 plate appearances with with men in scoring position who do you guys think it is two worst well, I could tell you who people would say. Yeah. Here's the two that, 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 that people would say. They would say Eric Hosmer and say a Suzuki. That is, Those would be okay. the two. So the two worst are Nelson Velasquez, 0 for 11, uh, 0 for 10 with one walk. So zero batting average. Uh, and, and this one surprised me, Cody Bellinger. Uh, 0.83 batting average with runners in scoring position. Now this is with, remember, this is with uh, the... Since that thirteen nothing game, Seiya Suzuki has with at least ten batting, at least ten plate appearances, he has the highest batting average during that time, two eighty six. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Uh, it, that is a hundred percent not what the sort of public criticism. It's because is. he's just had twenty six plate appearances. That's why. I mean, Ian Happ has twenty one and is hitting one sixty seven. It's just you. You remember certain 
pieces, certain times, certain moments. He's certainly come up in really big moments, sure. But, I mean, he's he's doing fine. He, he's not going to deliver every single time. Dansby Swanson's probably the best of the bunch uh, in a larger sample. But, I mean, this is all small samples. So, uh, it's I mean, I, I think this really plays to the point of, you know, st- we, we got to try not to overreact to these, you know, 7, 10, 15 game chunks. Uh, Jed talked about it yesterday. You know, is it, I asked him like, what do you think it is? Is it just randomness? And he's like, yeah, I'd lean towards randomness. I don't think there's some awful offense, uh, when it comes to hitting in these situations, I I still am trying to figure out what they are as an offense. But like I said, last time, there's some players on this team that are as good or better than I expected. And, and I think like are impact talents, Ian Happ, Cody Bellinger among them. I would say Suzuki's game yesterday was really important. Uh, the day before, he he took a couple walks, and and I, you know, you never know how a guy's seeing the ball, but that felt like it may have mattered. And then yesterday, really striking the ball well and just delivering in some big moments. I think sometimes this stuff, like I, like people want to just jump on people after a week, after ten days, after a month, and and the game is just very like it it's really hard to to assume that someone is who they are uh, who what their numbers say after you know 90 plate appearances or whatever uh, this is a guy without spring training i would say like any energy uh negative reactions right now to say as far as this is a bad signing or anything like that are complete overreactions uh like with him especially the hosmer stuff Listen, like we're 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 addressing that in a in a mailbag we have, but my my ultimate point is I I can't really disagree. Like uh, your all your complaints, Hosmer hitting two eighty six with runners in scoring position during that span. It's only seven plate appearances, and of course uh, the whatever day it was Tuesday was absolutely unacceptable. I don't know why he's batting sixth. I asked Ross about it. He basically says he has his process, and he's not going to get into much more details other than that. Uh, so. That 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 is what it is. Uh, I I don't I, like. I'm not gonna argue with any Cubs fans that that are upset about that because it 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 leaves me scratching my head as well. Uh, if if you're not gonna play Edwin Rios that much, it, I I think like that's the role that Eric Hosmer should take. A very occasional pinch hit in the right situation, maybe the occasional start. But he started twice in six games since uh, Mervis was called up, and frankly, I I just don't. It doesn't make sense to me. But that's you know every everything. There's there's always a little nuance here and things we can't fully appreciate that go beyond just numbers and things uh, that you know fans may not care about, but they have to consider in certain ways. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, it's kind of interesting. Yesterday, one of Seiya Suzuki's agents was in town, and he has several clients between the Cubs and Cardinals. And he was talking, you know, with Seiya's kind of support staff as well as the Cubs hitting coach. And, you know, I do think... I get why the Cubs signed Suzuki. I think he'll be a very good player in the long run. But, like, we spend a lot of time talking about Eric Hosmer, who's making the major league minimum and will probably be cut at some point in the middle of the season. And, like, Cubs paid about $100 million for Seiya Suzuki. Like, they need more than one home run in, like, 100 plate appearances. And I don't think it's unreasonable to expect more from him. Like, he had a nice season last year. Um, there were a lot of circumstances around that, and obviously there was an oblique injury earlier in the year. But like, you know, he's kind of making what Wilson got, and he's in the ballpark of a Kyle Schwarber contract. And at a certain point, like, you don't get that many kind of like training wheel seasons. Like, you know, you lose all these one run games. Uh, Jed Hoyer said, I don't think this is a like personal adjustment cultural issue he's like i think there's a baseball issue and that he's still getting his timing down not totally locked in all things that are understandable but at a certain point he has to deliver and you know maybe this series these last couple days were signs of him starting to get to that point but uh he hasn't been there and i think that's been a you know big issue with that offense yeah i remember our conversations before the season before the injury talking about you know, he was probably the name that came up when we were like, if the Cubs are going to surprise offensively, it's going to be in part because Suzuki has a huge season. And now I wouldn't say that that sounds quaint now, but it's sort of baseball does remind you every year about how hard it is to predict because now it's like, well, Cody Bellinger is sort of the guy who's brave. We wouldn't have predicted what he's done so far. Um, I think the 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 only thing I'll add on Saya in relation to the missed spring training and the oblique injury is, you know, I've been, I've been watching his plate appearances closely over the last couple of weeks, um, specifically for a whole lot of, um, they're not quite checked swings. They're like just shy of a check swing, you know, where you sort of just barely start to trigger and you're like, nah, so you're not checking your swing, but you're, you're, you're not committing. And it's like a very hittable strike. And you, you see that a bit. And then you see the, the, 
sort of not a great swing at a at a, at a pitcher's pitch off the edge, and it you it, it started to look to me like a guy who was just kind of caught in between, who was it, it was it was not necessarily a mechanical or timing issue. It was sort of a confidence in his swing decisions kind of issue where he where just you know I, I hate to I'm not trying to be armchair psychologist about it. It's just sort of that's how it looked to me. I think sometimes with those not quite check swings, you kind of get a sense of that. And I noticed uh, the last two nights, not that I'm saying it's like, boom, a switch flips, but like, I felt like I didn't really see that as much the last two nights specifically. It just, it felt like it looked more like the Suzuki that we saw early on in in 2022, where there was that confidence uh, at the plate where he was just, he wasn't going to swing at a pitcher's pitch. And he was, you know, he knew, he knew the zone. He knew what was coming. He read it out of the hand very well and he had confidence in his approach. And so hopefully that's a sign, you know, that like that, whatever he needs to get himself sort of in maximum um, go mode that, that maybe it was just a matter of he, he had his spring training in the regular season and we all just watched it and now he's getting there and, Heck, we just saw with Dansby Swanson spring training to the regular season how quickly it can go from a guy who looks completely lost to boom, no, he's instantly good to go once that switch flips. And, you know, maybe that's me being overly optimistic, but you do think about the fact that if Saya starts hitting, this lineup looks really good. It really does. There's a lot of production in it, especially if Christopher Morell stays up and is actually producing a bit especially if Matt Mervis starts to face like not the absolute worst possible matchups for himself. It's really been remarkable. Um, huh? Take it, take it easy <laughs> on him folks. It's like, and then if Jan Gomes keeps hitting like uh prime Wilson Contreras, I mean, this lineup is crazy. The Mervis matchups. I've just been like, really? They like barely faced lefties before he came up, but then it's all these lefties, tough lefty relievers. It's like Sandy Al- Alcantara. Like what, what, what happened? That was so weird. I would, how, he, he's he's like, holy shit! MLB is hard, man. I, I had no idea. Uh, I, what was I gonna say? Oh man, the the Mervis talk uh, sidetracked. Oh, the it, you're talking about flipping a switch. It, I I know you like it. It sometimes kind of is like that. Talking to these players, a lot of times, especially at the plate, they talk about like it just feels right now. I, I talked to Trey Mancini a lot about this over the spring early on in the season when he was slumping. If you remember early in the spring, he was locked in. And he was telling me, he's like, there's this mechanical feel that I have, that I have it right now. And then a week into the season, it was not the case. And he told me, he's like, remember when we talked uh, early on in the spring and I told you I was locked in? That went away sometime in the spring. I lost it and I've been searching for it. And I and he found it again. Like he took those two days off in Oakland, and he got it. It's just like it happens on a swing. It happens uh, in the cage. It happens in a game. All of a sudden, you feel and you're like, oh, there it is. And you can do all the drills you want leading up to it. Whatever it is, you just it's a lot of it is. I mean, it's physical, obviously. But I think sometimes once you find it, you're like, okay, I gotta hold on to this for as long as I can and just make sure I feel right. And it, you know these things happen and they, they just feel right at the plate. And, and and sometimes it's very easy to explain. And it's like, well, I was doing this, this, and this other times it's like, I don't know. I just felt right on that swing. And ever since then, my body's moving how it's supposed to. And, you know, I, I find that fascinating. Uh, 
you don't want to. I think that's why they try not to overthink things and and assume that this is going to be how it is forever, right? Oh no, I'm stuck in this rut. Oh no, or oh great, I feel awesome at the plate. They know that these things can come and go, and it's trying to like fight through the bad moments and then just really ride the highs and and let that you know be like okay, this may not be like this forever, but I'm going to take advantage of every swing I have right now, uh, and I I. I I mean, maybe Saya feels like that. Maybe, maybe that's something. Maybe it's clicked right now, and he feels right. I mean, obviously, like you said, I think it would be very big for them because it, you you always not everyone's going to be hot at the same time. So you need different guys to step up over different moments. And whether these teams that they're about to face are are hot or not, and and they're really not. Like I wrote, Tampa Bay and Atlanta are the only great teams right now. The rest of the league is pretty even to bad. Uh, so, I mean, there's, there's no such thing as a really difficult, oh no, look at this stretch. The Cubs are even with these teams as far as I'm concerned. They need to prove it and they need to do it over six months. But right now, I, I like, you can't look at the schedule and say like, how are they going to beat these teams? They just need to go out there and prove that they're up to the task and, and, you know, uh, at that level. Um, all right, let's leave it there. That's good. I think, um, that's good off day talk good priming for the weeks ahead um you know we barely talk about the pitching at all because again pitching's just been good and solid justin Steele's two runs or less streak ended uh but of course he still threw a quality start so um the offense i think is still going to probably be the separator between this team being mediocre and competitive and so i think it was reasonable that it got the bulk of our discussion today and it's going to be the thing we probably look at most carefully in the weeks ahead uh minnesota for the cubs this weekend and we will be back at you on monday this is on to waveland it's the cubs podcast here at the athletic i'm brett taylor you can get my stuff at bleacher nation that's sahadev sharma and patrick mooney get theirs at the athletic we appreciate you as always go cubs and uh have a great weekend As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.